Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this week, our guest is Brian Coderna, and he's the founder of the Coderna Financial Team. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Gary. Happy to be here. So, Brian, t- tell me, how how did you decide to get into, you know, the, the financial planning and, and investment side of things? Yep. Yeah. So I'll try and give you the cliff notes of that story. Um, but, it, you know, in high school, if I go back to like really the genesis of it, was a good student, but wasn't huge on a lot of the traditional subjects of, you know, math and sciences and so forth. Um, I guess it was maybe my junior or senior year started to have some business courses. And that really just resonated with me, particularly entrepreneurship, that you could control your own destiny, you could build an enterprise, you didn't have to kind of fit into a box, you could throughout life, you know, have all these different pursuits and make business out of it. Um, So that's what ultimately led me to business school. And um, kind of funny story when I, I was at the University of Tampa, was a marketing major, uh, transferred to the college in New Jersey, actually had an interview with the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. And um, I'll never forget it. The guy that's interviewing me, he says, all right, Brian, I'm looking at your resume here. Uh, Do you speak any other language, not including Spanish? And I was like, no, I don't. And he goes, do you have a pilot's license? And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, no. And he's like, all right, this is going to be tough. And I'm like, well, what are you looking for here? And, you know, we ended the interview and he said, if you're going to stay in business, everything we do is following the money. So he said, you either got to switch to finance or accounting, get something practical, you get that degree, and then we could talk. And so I didn't end up going to the DEA, but I went to the registrar's office and uh, I changed my major from marketing to finance. I always liked economics. I liked investing. I liked learning about that. And then, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit, had an internship with a financial advising firm um, that really promoted, you know, you're independent, you're building your own book, your own practice. Uh, That was right up my alley. Um, So that was in 2008. I took that position and never looked back. And this is what I've been doing ever since. That's awesome. So, um, you know, you got you have built a successful business. Um, You've been part of the the. a million dollar round table. Um, you've published some books, you, you're, you're quoted in Forbes and CNN and things like that. So t- yep. t- get, tell us a little bit about that and tell us some about your books. Sure, sure. So, and that's where I was really able to kind of, I always had a passion for writing. You know, I, I just loved writing. I felt it was such a good way to kind of get what was in the back of my head that I'm thinking about and really expand on it. Um, And I've done that from high school, college and on. And so it was in 2016, I came out with my first book, which was called Millennial Millionaire. And uh, the subtitle was A Guide to Making a Million by the Time You're 30 or Becoming a Millionaire by 30. And so I I wrote that book. It was self-published. It was a merger of my passion for writing, also with a passion for financial literacy. 
So I was able to kind of get get my writing hat back on, but also fold it into my business and really use it as a platform. And so that, you know, back then, if you remember like 2015, 2016, it was like millennial was a buzzword that you just couldn't get enough of. And so when the book came out, then I was able to parlay that into doing a lot of media uh, commentary and stuff that opened a lot of doors for me, which was really cool. And I felt it was a way just to kind of take what I've been learning, working with clients, getting all these designations and just expose that to such a broader audience so that they could get some financial know-how. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we fast forward a little bit, that book did pretty well. People were asking for a sequel and everything. Um, I wrote, you know, my latest book more going back to like my passion for economics of like why money does what it does and what controls all the different decision-making around the world from the kitchen table up to the white house. Right. And so I wrote my manuscript for what should I do with my money? Um, and then I, you know, worked with a number of publishers. I signed a deal with McGraw Hill. Um, they gave me a great editor and we put it together. I actually have a, a copy right here. So it took some time, took about two years to get that all put together. Um, and then it was awesome. We, we ramped that out. They printed 10,000 copies on the first print and um, just went with, like wildfire and uh, just kind of riding that wave right now. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've been doing this for a little while now. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people that are, you know, that are making with their money? So th- there's quite a few. I'll try and, you know, bring it to maybe the the more common things that I see. And I think the trend that you're seeing, and this is nothing new, is that there's so much information out there. And I think that there's two negative consequences of that. There's a lot of good out of that. Don't get me wrong. But two of the negatives are one, people just get so inundated that they get confused. They're like, every night I turn on the news, I'm hearing something different. You know, my buddy is recommending 10 different podcasts. There's these other finance blogs. I'm just getting overwhelmed with this information that then I have kind of this either paralysis by analysis or I say, you know what, that really sounds good. I'm going to try that. And then two weeks later, I hear another tip and I totally abandon it and go with a new plan. And so they're kind of like jockeying from horse to horse, not really knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I often say like in finance, it's almost like if you, you grab a bar of soap and you're tossing it around too much and then it just kind of disappears, that can happen to your money when you're you're kind of playing around with it too much. You know, sometimes you got to let it be. So I think that's number one. And then the other thing that really does bother me is I think the the just natural inclination to kind of avoid nuance and to try and find, you know, is there an easier or maybe a quicker way to do this? And that that timeless lore, I think, is what, you know, the media preys on that. And a lot of folks out there say, all right, I made a couple bucks. You know, I, I just found out this this cool idea. I'm going to go for it. And, and they think there's all these shortcuts. And when we start chasing shortcuts, it usually does not have a happy ending. Yeah, I, I think that that is something that, that, again, everybody wants to make that quick buck. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, we, we all wish that that could happen. Um, but everybody's thinking that, OK, hey, I got the next Apple or or whatever it may be. Um, and they're going to make the make the quick money. Um, what advice do you have for somebody? Because I mean, obviously, I'm 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 sure that with your clients, you're not telling them, "Oh, here, go invest in in this." You're actually talking to them and creating a plan for them. 
Yeah, um, exactly. What in working with the client, um, and 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 I know you're you're like me in the fact that not every person is going to be your client because there's not always the good fit. Mm-hmm. But when somebody is trying to pick out a, an advisor to work with, what are some of the things that they really need to think about? You know, when they're picking somebody. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I actually have kind of a story that goes along with that, because one of my early clients when I was maybe, I guess, four years in the business, um, it was an older gentleman. So at the time, you think I'm 26, 27, he's like 70 or 71. um, And he was a big client, he had a very large portfolio. And he called me up out of the blue, I'd met him at some sort of like networking function long before that calls me up out of the blue and says, Hey, you know, I really need some guidance on this. And I want to work with two advisors. So right out the gates, he said, that's just been a decision I make uh, with this big portfolio. I want to split it between two advisors. I said, all right, you know, that that's fine. I'm happy to almost kind of interview for the job. And the first meeting that I sat down with him, it literally was like an interview. We sat down and, you know, we had a good conversation and then he pulled out a little notepad and he had like five questions on there. And there were questions like, why did you get into finance? Um, How many clients do you have? Where are you from? You know, what's important about investing to you? Like these big open-ended questions. And so we just had this really cool conversation. And I was like, you know, in the four years I'd been doing it, I I never felt like I was on a job interview. (laughs) And I was like, this guy more or less put me through a job interview. And uh, fortunately, he, he picked myself, you know, being more of like a small independent practice And then the other gentleman that he went with for the other half was with like a big wirehouse that I won't name, um, but that everybody knows. And so it was kind of two different schools of thought. He liked both of us. And he said, you know, I'll split it and then I'll kind of score keep for the two of you moving forward. And so I think to answer your question, that's what I tell people is like, get to know your advisor. It's okay to ask them some of those soft questions, because if you're not comfortable with them, then you're probably not going to have that open dialogue that you really need as life evolves and as the economy goes wild. You want to be able to have frank conversations with each other. Um, otherwise, it's almost like going to meet with the doctor and the doc says, you know, tell me about X, Y, and Z. And you're like, I don't know if I really want to say that. And then they can't make a very good diagnosis because you're withholding information. You can't have that when when you're building a financial plan. So I think you want to look for somebody that you can trust and that you like, and then you want to look for, you know, quality credentials, uh, which on my side, I always say, you know, you should be investment and insurance licensed. And I really promote the CFP, you know, the certified financial planner. That's, um, you know, there's a lot of testing, a lot of credentialing, a lot of ongoing continuing education to keep that designation. So I'm like, you know, why settle for somebody that doesn't have, any credential, you know, work with people that have proven themselves. Right, right. I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think one of the other things that I know I deal with this a lot with with the business owners and stuff is um, lots of times we're 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 like that therapist, um, and yep. we're really talking people off the ledge. They want to they want to make they want to react so quickly to something, um, and sometimes. You know, sometimes being able to to turn on a dime is good, but other times it's mm-hmm. not. Um, so I, I'm sure you deal with it a lot, also. And just, hey guys, let like you said earlier, just let the money set for a little while where it's at, type thing, instead of you know yep. trying to pull it out too quick. 
Exactly. Yeah. You, and that's uh, for most of my clients, I follow a five-step planning process. And so I tell them, you know, the, the numbers can change, the clientele can change, but this process, the core of the process is what it is. And that will not change. So, you know, it's like you said, we got to be adaptable to what life throws us and what the economy throws us, but we have to have a plan that agrees, you know, North, North is North and we're going to keep heading that direction and, um, you know, if, if you don't have it, that's when, if you bounce around here and there, that's usually not an efficient plan. Right. Right. What, um, you know, obviously we've, we, everybody's heard of Bernie Madoff and the things that have happened and stuff mm -hmm. like that. If somebody's choosing someone who is more independent, like you are not part of one of the big wirehouses or whatever, yeah. How can they safeguard themselves to not fall into the Bernie Madoffs of the, of the world? Yep. Yeah. So when I say, uh, you know, we're a little more independent than, um, you know, like at the, the big wirehouse of Merrill Lynch or Schwab or something like that, uh, you know, we're we're not like kind of just hanging up a shingle. You know, we do work with a broker dealer. Um, you know, we do have non-captive contracts with the biggest insurance companies in the world. So when what I try and do is I'm, you know, I don't actually hold any client's money, which is a really big distinction to note. When you look at like a Bernie Madoff or some of those big issues, you know, that you might have found like in some of these hedge funds or some of these unregulated funds, they were actually holding the client's right. money, which is almost crazy to think about that they just have a checking account that's compiling, you know, billions of dollars. You know, for us, I don't hold a single dollar of my client's money. It's going into a broker dealer and then into investments that we all know, stocks and funds and such, or we're aligning them with an insurance company that, you know, they're very familiar with. It's hundred years old or whatever. So I think you want to kind of understand some of those things first and foremost, um, as opposed to maybe some of the, the hedge fund or private equity or some of the things that have less regulation than a licensed broker such as myself. And then if you are working with somebody like me or even at one of the wirehouses or the banks, um, I always recommend that they go Google broker check. And so there's a site that you might be familiar with, FINRA broker check, where every single licensed investment broker in the country has to be on this site. And what it does is it essentially is like a short resume for us. And it says, you know, how long have we had our licenses how long have we been with XYZ companies and do we have any disclosures on there? And so that's a really easy place for clients to just log right in. They say, Hey, I think I like this guy. You punch his name in and it pops right up, you know, essentially their background. Have they ever had a complaint? Have they ever been barred? Did they ever get fined? You know, did they make a mistake? You can see all of that clear as day right on that site. Right, right. I think that that's an important thing for people to think about. But then, you know, like you're saying, you have a broker dealer that everything is clearing through. Can mm -hmm. you explain that a little bit? Um, because I think lots of times people don't understand what the broker dealer's job is and what they're yeah. doing to safeguard our assets. Sure. Yeah. So to try and kind of make it as simple as could be, you want to think of almost like three parties that are involved. Mm -hmm. So you have what they often call the registered representative, which is me, that would be right. the individual or the financial advisor. You have the broker dealer, which is kind of like the, the big oversight 
for that registered representative's investment business. So they're doing all of the compliance and all of those things, essentially monitoring everything I do for my clients. And then you have your custodian. And so the custodian is the company that is actually housing the money and sending it back and forth and everything. So you have these three parties that are kind of helping out the client. Um, and then the broker dealer really is the one that's taking on the responsibility saying what you're doing is ethical and legal. And so you have these governing bodies way above that of, you know, FINRA and the SEC that that those are the, the government bodies that can crack the whip on people that are misbehaving. And so like, for instance, myself, I go through internal audits with my broker dealer where they're watching everything that I'm doing and, and trying to catch anything that might be out of whack, you know, or questioning me. And that's all internally just to make sure I'm acting in my client's best interests. And then we have audits, you know, from FINRA where they can come in and audit both the broker dealer and myself just to make sure everything adds up, everything looks clear. And so there's a lot of checks and balances there. And that is all for the client's best interests. That's why all of that exists. Uh, and I don't know in the accounting world, if it's as intensive and in, in the paperwork just being so overboard, but it's all there to protect the client. Yeah. And I I know with you guys in the past, I'm going to say past 10 years, it's it's really changed in some of the stuff that that you can do and you can say and some of the stuff that you're advising and where money can go and sure like sure. that. Um, you know, and that that's why I wanted you to to kind of explain that the that you know the three entities, if you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of people that you guys are answering to besides the clients. Exactly. Uh, yep. stuff. You have other people that you guys are are answering to, making sure that you're being legal and above board and actually looking out for the best interest of the clients. Exactly. And the crazy thing that that irks me about the industry, and I know a lot of other folks kind of share a similar feeling, excuse me, is that honestly, the more credentialing, the more experience, the more designations you have behind you, the more you have to prove and comply. And so what I mean by that is if I'm just Joe Blow off the street, I'm 21 years old with an associate's degree and not a day of of experience in the world of finance, I can go create podcasts and shows and blogs and spout any little thing I want, you know, buy this, get this option, try this out. I can say anything I want. But then if you have these licenses, these securities licenses, you're under, you know, the, the purview of the CFP board and so forth. It's like every single word out of my mouth, every email is subject to scrutiny to make sure that it's all compliant. And so it does kind of seem counterintuitive, like the smarter you get, the more overseen your advice is going to be. Whereas if you have no kind of designation or license behind you, you can go say whatever the heck you want. Um, But I think that's where the consumer, when they're digesting information, that's just some random dude that shows up on CNBC versus a financial advisor, they need to know like, okay, where's that advice coming from? And they need to take that into account and maybe put a little more weight to that professional advice than just some guy that's maybe kind of an entertainer throwing stock tips out on the side. And I I think the big thing is, is that that's a lot of difference in listening to your next door, next door neighbor versus 
a professional. Um, I have plenty of people that come to me that, oh yeah, my my you know next door neighbor said he did this in his business and blah blah blah. And it's like, well, yeah, he did it. Doesn't mean it's legal. Doesn't mean it's <laughs> the right thing for you. Yeah. So you really do need to, in my opinion, pick a professional. Or is in your situation, you had the the older gentleman. He picked two professionals. Mm-hmm. But he relied on you guys and your advice, and he took that and made decisions based on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things that I always that I always preach in one of my books was, you know, um, you know, the right team, the right plan. So you mm-hmm. need to make sure that you pick the right team of professionals, and and let them talk, let them create the plan for you. And then yeah. once you have that plan, then at that point, and I'm going to say theoretically, with that plan that you have, no matter what happens, you're ready for it. If the market's up, if the market's down, or if it's, you know, little cuckoo, you're you're still able to, you have that that map that you've put together to be able to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that's what I try and, you know, bring for my clients is just sound, good, strategic, long-term advice. And going back to the very beginning, when you said, you know, what are some mistakes people make out there? I think that's another one too, is just being a little bit short-sighted, which is understandable. I mean, there's so much going on in our lives. There's so much going on in the world. It's like, who the heck knows what three years from today is going to look like, let alone 30 years from now. Um, so I think people, they, they think that way. And so then they'll just be like, all right, well then forget about 30 years from now. And it's hard because it's like, you got to strike balance between today and tomorrow. And what I often tell people is I've seen two plans go awry. The person that's really focused on right now and not thinking about tomorrow or the person that's really focused on tomorrow and not thinking about today. And so you got to be able to kind of balance the two. And that's where I just draw up these kind of simple but detailed plans that really focus on discipline and on savings rate and on just making smart, efficient decisions around your money. And so it's almost like leading a healthy lifestyle. We're going to do that for years and decades, and then we're going to be very happy with the outcome. And we might have some choppy waters in between, but you know that's what I'd often kind of pose to people is, would you really like me to come up and say, Hey, I can show you, you know, a banner year. We're going to have an awesome year, but then the other 29 years of your career, like, "Ah, I don't really know what I'm going to give you, or I can give you pretty good years every year for the next 30 years. I think you'd like the latter. And that's the way I think you got to be realistic too, about how you approach financial planning. Yeah. I I think the the other thing too is, you know, and, and this goes back to, you know, the discussion we had when the gentleman came in and he had his list of questions for you, A, yep. to make sure that you're the right person. But I'm, I'm sure he asked you, you know, other things and what your investment philosophy is and things like that. And I think it's important for the listeners to understand too, that 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 they need to, your, your, your thoughts and their thoughts need to align. So then that way you're not constantly battling because I've seen that, you know, yep. also. Yeah. And kind of in that vein, another thing that a number of clients have asked me, and I'm totally fine with it. I tell them that's fair. You can ask me that is they say, can I see what you do? And, and now like over the years, especially as my plan has evolved and things have gotten more complex with business and real estate and on and on, 
I'm excited to say, yeah, sure. Cause literally it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy where I've become over time, like my ideal client. So I can sit down and pull up my plan literally on my computer and say, this is what I'm doing. This is, you know, what I make, this is what's going into cash. These are the different type of insurances I own that I think are most suitable. These are the different types of accounts I'm utilizing. And, and so our numbers may be different. They could be more or less, but everything that I'm trying to motivate them on and, and coach them on, I have it right here. So I'm like, yeah, if, if it's wrong, then if it's any consolation, I'm going to blow up too. <laughs> but, but it's like, literally we're in this together. Right. And I think that's key because I've seen it a million times where people come to me and they they just say, oh, you know, I had this one advisor, my buddy's friend said do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, that's new. I haven't seen that one. And I'm like, do they do that? Or can they show you anything on it? Oh, no, you know, not really. Or I don't think he, he does. And it's like, well, you know, why, why would you take that advice if it sounds like that person doesn't even really believe in it? Right. So I think that's key is that you want to know you know, it's just like you go to the gym, you want a trainer that's saying, I want you to eat this way and exercise this way. And look, it's made me very healthy and very athletic. There, the proof is in the pudding right. versus someone that's just getting by that's, you know, can't right. even, you know, walk to the door and they're saying, yeah, you ought to do this and that. Right. I mean, that's where I, I think too, as a, just the general public, you should kind of see yourself in that advisor a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that, that, the other thing is, is that everybody's plan is going to be different. Yes, there may be some things that in my plan and your plan that, that align, but lots of times mine's going to be different because of, you know, my age and where I'm at and sure. kids and no kids or whatever you have, it's going to be different. Doesn't mean that it's not right. It just means that it's different. Yes. Um, yeah. You yeah. And, and that's where, again, like I said, the numbers may be different. Some of the ingredients may be a little bit different, but the philosophy should be there in, you know, how we're actually designing the plan. And, right. uh, you know, that's, that's why I focus on. And then all of that and where I kind of come back to my book here is why I titled it, you know, what should I do with my money is it, the way, and if you ever read, you know, and for folks out there that have read it, they'll notice in the, the introduction of the book, where the, the genesis of this all comes is every time a, a client comes in within a couple of minutes, they say, well, what should I do with my money? Right. And the book isn't just a two page book that says, well, do X, Y, and Z. The book really answers the why, where what always happens is no matter what I tell that client, invest in this, buy that insurance, pay off that debt, whatever I say, the logical response is why. And yeah. then as the the client asks why, which they're certainly entitled to do, we start to kind of dive down this rabbit hole of why one decision is better than the other. And like you mentioned, being kind of like a therapist to your client, that's what we we start to uncover, like all of these motives that create their their investment behavior. And so that's really what I tried to do with the book. And that's where we dive headfirst into economics so that they understand as we get further and further down those whys, we answer more and more of them. And then the last chapter comes back to financial literacy. So it, for some people, when they just read the index, like it seems like kind of backwards, right. but it's not. It's like, let's go through all the motivation first, get understanding of the world and the construct that we live in. Then when we have that, then the financial decision-making is easy. We, we know what's right and wrong. Right. Um, we've covered a lot of stuff. 
but um, (laughs) the thing I want to get from you, tell me what is a piece of advice that you got that you kind of wish that you had it way back when before you even got started? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, I mean, I certainly like like your guy asking you kind of the interview question. Yep. And it's not so much just your investment philosophy, but you yourself and why and what motivates you. I think that that's that's awesome for people to think about. But so what I would say, what just kind of came to mind as first thing that came to mind as I think about it was advice I actually got early on, but I didn't believe and I wish I believed it. Uh And so one of my mentors said, you know, early in the business, you know, you're out there hustling, I'm I'm cold calling, I'm going to networking functions. Uh, You know, I'm doing everything under the sun to just go find another client to get someone to talk to to try and help them out. And so it's very much eat what you kill. And, And for those first three years that I was in there from, you know, 22 to 25 years old, it was like every day, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like I I have some good days. And then I'm like, I'm working my tail off all month and I can't catch a client. You know, I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. And, and so one of my mentors was like, Brian, you just keep following the process, keep doing right by your clients, keep going out, working hard, you know, meeting new people, networking, marketing, building a business, keep doing that each day. And he's like, you're doing it. You're going to be fine. And he, he spoke with such confidence that he's like, you're going to kill it in this career. And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to be here next week. Like, <laughs> like you're saying it without doubt, without hesitation. And I just kind of like kept shrugging it off. And at, at that time, you know, for any entrepreneur, they know they have those sleepless nights and yeah. it's like early, throughout those twenties, I wish I had heard that more and just kind of took a beat and was like, you know what, I, I just got to do me and work hard and do right. And it will be okay. Um, and then I think everything would have been the same, but it may have been a little bit less stressful through some of those periods. So you would have slept, slept a little bit better at least. Right? Yeah. Long right. story short, that was it. I think, uh, you know, you got to have some kind of belief along the way, like he said. Right. Right. So, um, what have I not asked you? You wish I had. Uh, that's, that's a good question too. Um, Hmm. Well, I can tell you a funny story, um, that, that maybe you could ask about. So I often ask clients or people like on my show, like their best investment, worst investment. So mine is the same answer. So when I was in college, I wanted to, I wanted to invest, you know, I really wanted to, this was way before Robin hood or anything like that existed. So a family friend, you know, we didn't really know folks with money or anything. Um, it was one gentleman we knew that was one of the wealthier guys we ever met. And he said, well, you can go on this site. It's called Scott Trade, which doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Um, that became TD Ameritrade, which eventually became Schwab. But anyways, he says, you can go on Scott Trade. You got to put in like 500 bucks and then you can place trades. I think they cost like $7 a trade. So I'm, I'm college. I got this summer money from my lifeguarding job. I put 500 bucks in Scott trade and I'm like, let's go. I'm reading all the books. I'm ready to do it. And so I'm picking my first investment and I'm going through these screeners. You know, what has five stars? What's like a lights out investment on all these screeners from top rating agencies, six flags, five stars, you know, strong buy everything you could think of in my head. I'm like, I went to six flags, the theme park, like a year ago with friends and it was a dump. 
Like half the rides didn't work. There was trash everywhere. It was a mess. And so I'm like, you know, I hate Six Flags, but I'm like, everything I'm reading says it's a slam dunk. So I, long story short, I follow these geniuses. I put my 500 bucks in the Six Flags. We fast forward about one year. And what happens to Six Flags? They declare bankruptcy. They go and they end up restructuring their company because they were swamped in debt. This is like around 2008, recession hits. Uh, they they go through the bankruptcy proceeding and they wipe out the lower class of shares, which is what I owned. And I literally lost it all. And so it was the worst investment because it's the only investment I ever made that right. went bankrupt. But it was the best one because I I went away from that tenant of invest in what you know. And if I just saw that, I was set up, skip six flags. That sucks. Like I didn't, didn't like my experience and I ignored myself. I ignored my mind. Right. I followed that and it did not pan out well. So. Yeah, that's that's I mean, it's kind of funny that that you say that, because I think that that's what um, a lot of people try to do. It's just like, OK, what are the the, the talking heads or whatever? What are they saying? Um, and I think it's one of those things that it's like, you know, they're not always right. You know, so it's like, you know, you got to you, you got to look at other things also. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's why I even like when I mentor now, I tell guys it's okay, you know, fail fast, like go out into the world and get your teeth kicked in because yeah, I lost 500 bucks and that meant a lot to me then. Right. But now I manage, you know, tens of millions of dollars for clients and I'll never have, you know, that, that mindset that I carried in that one moment that made that bad decision. Right. So you, you know, you kind of get to build yourself through these experiences and, you know, that's where it was a good investment for me. Right, right. Great. So, Brian, if people like what they hear, how can they reach out to you? Yep. So uh, they can probably best way is go to my website, which is just briancaderna.com. Um, that's where I have, you know, my newsletter they can sign up for a lot of, you know, my blog, my latest findings and stuff. Uh, my professional website is cadernafinancial.com. You know, if they want to learn more like financial advising, Right. Um, and then I have the Caderna podcast where, you know, I have lots of cool guests talk about a lot of, you know, wealth building finance and economics. And then lastly, the book again, what should I do with my money? Um, it's available wherever books are sold and, and paperback audiobook, and Kindle. Uh, so you can really kind of find out my mindset there and, and some really cool info. Uh, so I'd really recommend that as well. Great. I really appreciate your time today. I think that, that, um, you know, you had a lot to, to be able to tell our, our listeners and um, help them, you know, when they're trying to make a decision on who to have invest their money, you've given them a lot to think about. Cool. Well, thank you for the time, Gary. I hope uh, your listeners enjoy it. Great. This week, our guest was Brian Caderna with Caderna Financial Team. Thank you. And I'll see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.